Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We're introduced to, uh, to Abram here. Uh, just a note, I will use Abram, Abraham, and Abe kind of all interchangeably. The text will give us a specific like point where Abram turns to Abraham. Um, I don't, I'm just going to say whatever comes out. It, usually it's Abe because in my typing, I'm like, I'm not typing Abraham when I can type Abe. So forgive me if that's sacrilege. I do want to make sure I bless him, as you'll see that's important. Abe kind of appears out of nowhere. Um, in chapter 11, there's this, uh, there's this genealogy of, of Terah, and Terah is the father of Abram. We know that Terah is a descendant of Seth. Uh, and so we get this little, little um, story of, or not Seth, Shem, apologies. Uh, so these are the generations of Shem, um, which, I mean, it goes all the way back. But uh, So we get a little story, a little background there of Abram. I said out of nowhere. He's not really out of nowhere. He's out of this place called Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans is an old tribal name for the Babylonians. So what this does is it actually places Abraham, and this is my thought. The author has given us something here to think about because Abram is placed right after the story of God dispersing the Tower of Babylon, the Tower of Babel. It's the same Hebrew word, Babel, and Babylon is the only time we leave the Hebrew word Babel untranslated. So it's the Tower of Babylon, uh, the Tower of Babel, and God disperses the people over the face of the earth. It's a little unclear when that happens, although what it seems to me like is the dispersion actually happens over time. It's not like God dispersed the Tower of Babel, and then the people wake up the next morning confused and wandering off into the wilderness. Rather, it seems more like a generational overtime dispersion. I don't know that that's saying anything necessary, but the author wants us to see Abram as being one of these people that's being dispersed by God out of the Chaldeans, out of Babylon. And that, I think, is important to understand kind of what's going on in the big picture here of the Bible. We also know that in the Hebrew Bible, we're looking for the snake crusher from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the, the offspring of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. So we spend our time reading through the Bible thinking, oh, maybe this is them. Oh, Noah, he's cool. Maybe it's him. Oh, no, something weird happened in his tent, not him. And so then, oh, who's our next guy? Oh, maybe Abram. Okay, this will be cool. And so that's where we're going to dive in as Abe, one of, these, uh, one of these maybe perhaps snake crushers. So let's dive in. I got like four hours worth of stuff here. Actually, it took me about 32 minutes to run through it this morning. I usually go slower than that here, so we'll see what we can do. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, two things he'll say to Abraham. Let's just read it. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the call. This is the call. Go from this place to this other place. Then the second part, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Two things here. One is the call, and two is the promise. The promise can't be fulfilled unless the call is answered. It's all part and parcel. But the call first, Abraham had to be separated out. Go from, leave your country, your kindred, your family, your father's house. Leave that place. Leave Babylon. And Babylon, at this time in ancient Near Eastern history, they were worshiping multiple gods. They had all kinds of gods. Marduk and Tiamat, they had a lot of gods. Abraham probably worshiped a bunch of these gods too, and one of them said to him, go from your country. Let's not over-spiritualize Abraham at this point. He didn't know who was talking to him yet, though he will find out quickly. He's got to be taught. And this God told him to leave everything that he had known. And I took it this way. Yahweh, we know him as Yahweh. Yahweh came and said, leave your little gods. So whether it's Marduk or Tiamat or some of these other Babylonian gods, or whether it's gods of comfort, familiarity, normalcy, if that's the gods that Abraham was worshiping, then God said, hey, you need to leave that. Go to, he says, some unknown land, unknown to Abraham, because Yahweh will have to show it to him. He's like, you don't know where you're going. I do. Just go, and I'll show you the land. Think about what that takes. That's going to take some trust. Here is this God that is telling you, I want you to go from everything you know to a new place you don't know. Literally, I'm going to show it to you later on. Abe's like, cool, let's do it. This is a big change. Some of us dislike change so much we're unwilling to go to Colombia. I don't want to go there. I don't want to travel. I don't want to move. Abe and his entourage traveled 1,500 miles is what it's about. The Fertile Crescent, I don't have a map, apologies. Someone just wave my hands around like that'll work. The Fertile Crescent, so if Ur is over here, you've got to go up and around the Fertile Crescent to where uh, Israel, the promised land, would be. About 1,500 miles. If you wanted to travel that, that's from Kirksville to about Reno, Nevada. Okay? Get going. You're walking, too. So to truly follow God, I think we get a lesson right away here. We are one verse into this, and we get a lesson. To truly follow God, we must trust him. We must trust him. And there's a lot of lessons, actually. We must be separated from old patterns of life. Babylon was not going to cut it for Abraham's future. If he stayed where he was, it was not going to function for Abraham. You must be willing to change. That is, in this case, to go and do what God shows you to go and do. But it is easier, God, for me to stay in my house, in my comfort, in my familiarity, and not go do what you said. And God's like, well, of course it is. It is easier to do that. But where is your trust? Who are you serving then? if that's the case. It could be geographic. Abraham, it was geographic. He had to leave and go 1,500 miles. I don't want any of you to leave, though he may be calling you to. It could be more that this is a spiritual journey that we're going to be on, that God has us, that we are in one place spiritually, and we get comfortable there. In that story that we skipped, you go back and read those verses, they actually make it from Ur to a city about halfway called Haran. And they stay there a while. Abraham's father dies there. And then Abram moves on later after his father dies uh, from Haran. So in this case, 
They could have stayed, but God again is like, no, this is not the land. On you go. So our, our progression doesn't end uh, just because we're um, just because we think we've arrived. Then the second thing is the promise. The promise is verse two and three. I will make, and so the, the verb changes from you will go, Abraham, go from your to now I will. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So Abraham actually has something to do out of this blessing. God will bless Abraham. Abraham's job is to be a blessing. So he gets a job out of this too. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this, this requires is a descendants for Abraham, which is an interesting problem because his wife is barren. We learn that in verse 32, or verse 30 of chapter 11. Now Sarah, his wife, was barren and had no child. So there's a little problem there with this promise. Abe doesn't seem to be worried about that yet, but it does put the promise in jeopardy. And we're going to kind of see that through Abe's story is this promise in jeopardy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Is it going to be fulfilled? Uh-oh. So we're going to watch that as we go. It will also require great wealth and possessions. He seemed wealthy when he left. It said he took everything with him uh, in verse um, five. Uh, well, it says it somewhere. Oh, ver yeah, verse five of chapter 12. But we're not there yet. We're good there. So it's going to take some of that. And, and the great nation status is not going to be for Abram's, it's not for his blessing. Understand that. Like, Abe will be blessed, but so that he will be a blessing. The, promise, the problem with the Tower of Babel, they were actually making a name great there as well, but they were trying to make a name for themselves. In the promise that God told to Abraham, he says, I will make your name great. God will do that work from this as well. It's God's promise. And like Abraham's name is great. The three major religions, three of the major religions in the world trace back to Abraham. Christianity, obviously Judaism, uh, and, and Islam all trace back to Abraham as their father. So billions of people trace back to Abraham. His name is great. He's 4,000 years old. And here we are talking about him on a Sunday morning. Nothing better to do than that. And the purpose of this, we've talked about it already. There's two so that's in here. Well, there's one so that. So that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. Not so that you will be blessed. Abraham is not being promised, hey, I'm going to make you a blessing so that you will be blessed. No, I'm going to make you, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. An incredible pr promise. And so a challenge here for us at this point even, be a blessing. We as Christians are children of Abraham. We're grafted into that family through the line of Jesus. We're grafted into that family. We're made a part of the children of Abraham. We are to be a blessing. We're to be a blessing. Not because we have to, but because God has blessed us so incredibly, so generously, that we can go and be a blessing. We're gonna, I need to put a plate out here. We're going to do our benevolence offering. We're going to have a plate up at the end. Um, at the end of the service, we try to be a blessing to people who are in need when they call the church. And so that's an opportunity for us to be a blessing, for us to be a blessing. And then we have lots of opportunities. Be a blessing to someone 
today. Find that opportunity to do so. Verse 4, so Abram went. That's it. He just went. Verse 4. Bible gives us little detail about the conversations he would have with his family and his children to say, hey, guys, we're going we're gonna to move. Oh, okay, Dad, where? Down the street? No, no, no. We're going to walk 1,500 miles. It's cool, though. He's just up and left, following God. Two, unknown territories. Unknown territories. In this case, it's geographic, but it's also spiritual. It's also relational. It puts him into some hardships. And this can be following God for us as well. Sometimes we get into hard places where it seems like the only person we can trust is God. And he's like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want you to go. I want you to be in a place where the only person you can trust is me. You can't trust yourself here in this foreign land, Abraham. You've got to trust me. What motivated Abraham to go? The Bible doesn't say here, but the author of Hebrews gives us an insight. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, I think we've got it on the screen. It says in verse 8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as, a foreign, as in a foreign land. Why did he go? We know it's by faith, verse 10, because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking for God's city. He was looking for God's place. And remember, like the author of Hebrews is connecting back to that Babylon story as well. There's pretty cool things happening there. There's a song looking for the city, looking, uh, uh, looking for the city. But the internet ruined that one for me. Actually, Matthew ruined that one for me because there's this guy singing it all out of tune and stuff. Five, five, post that on the comments. That was, it broke my mind on it. So he went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. <laughs> this is the part where you got to be like, wait, what? Lot went with him? God said, leave your kindred behind. Why did Lot go? That's going to be nothing but trouble. We'll find that out later. Abraham, it tells us, Abraham was 75 years old when he departed. So he was a young man. Actually, nothing cool happened to Abraham until he was 75 years old. 75. Shouldn't he have retired by collecting his social security by then? God's like, hey, I want you to walk to Reno. You know, 1,500 miles. God, I'm 75, you know. God does not care about your age. Let me just say that. God does not care about your age. Retirement is in the next life. You got spiritual work to do right now. And we're finding ways behind the scenes right now to put some of you all blessed saints to work in ways that you can work. We're not going to make anybody walk to Reno, all right, from here. Although you could if you wanted to. All right, move on. Verse 5, and Abram took his wife Sarah and Lot, his brother's son, so his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. So they did some good business in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land uh, to a place called Shechem, uh, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. 
So Abe's entourage actually arrive in the promised land here. They get to this place. The first place we meet is Shechem. They come to a tree, the tree of Morah. Uh, and they're like, hey, that's a nice tree. It's like a tree of life thing. We'll just camp under that. And God says, this is your land. This is your land. You have arrived at the promised land. In verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram had made it. They had arrived. Done. Walked all this way. Here we are. Set up camp. He actually moves a little further south in the next verses to between Bethel and Ai. There he builds another altar uh, to the Lord who had appeared to him. And um, from there he moved to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. This is an important place. In some ways, this is the first place in the promised land. He keeps moving then in the next verse, verse 9, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev, uh, which is a southern portion of what is today Israel. He had made it. He had arrived. All of his problems were now behind him. He had arrived at his vacation destination of the promised new land he's supposed to live in. Everything will go good because that's what serving God is all about, getting to where he told you to go and then not doing anything else. It's perfect land of promise, Garden of Eden. He has arrived. All right, so let's keep reading. Now, there was a famine in the land. Wait a, wait a second. He had arrived in the land. He had arrived in the promised land. Why is there a famine? What? It's like, this is not the promise. God, you said to go here. I went here. It's supposed to be good. And there's a famine. We learn in the next verse, he has to leave. So Abram went down to Egypt, or it's later in the same verse, to sojourn there, to wander there. For the famine was severe in the land. It was a severe famine. And we're supposed to pause and think about what famine would be like. It's not missing a meal or being late to a meal because the preacher passed too long. He's like, Lord, I'm famished. You know, no, you're not. Go over it, you know. So, like, we don't know famine in America. We're experiencing a pretty bad drought right now in Kirksville and in, the, in northern Missouri. This is a pretty bad drought. But we're not in danger of famine like these people are 4,000 years ago. People die. This is incredibly devastating. This is a horrible thing. And Abram was in the land. God, what are you doing to me? No answers are given. Just got to keep reading. But again, this is like the promise is in jeopardy. Oh, no, Abram and all his people could die of this famine. So he leaves uh, and he goes to Egypt. Just imagine the disappointment of like, I've arrived, and then like, no, we got to leave. Everybody's starved to death. Some promised land, God, you know, like, what kind of land is this? So maybe, maybe this is that blessing to other nations thing. Maybe he's going to be a blessing to other nations in Egypt. Let's read verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Oh, Abraham. What a nice thing to say to your wife. Father's Day, eh? There's a little tip here from Abraham. Just be nice, say nice things. Um, where was I? Verse 12. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Oh. Then they will kill me. What? <laughs> then they'll kill me. Hold on, Abe. What are you doing here, buddy? But they'll let you live. Okay. 
he's he's worried about something here. You could sense the worry. He's like, this I got this promise. I've got this promise that I'm gonna be a great nation. Sarah, that probably involves you. It probably involves me being alive since we don't have any children. So, verse 13, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. See, Abe's trust in God, it's I think he's just learning. He had just met this God a couple thousand miles ago. They'd spent some time together. But he's learning about God on his process. And here he's actually a little bit like, I think I need to, um, I need to take some steps to preserve my life, thus preserving God's promise. And so he steps in and trusts himself through deception. He trusts deception to protect God's promise. And this is actually a common problem for people who don't know God very well that we don't trust God. Why don't we trust God? Well, we don't know him very well. If we knew him, we would trust him. See, because here's the thing. If Abe, Abe doesn't trust God to keep his promise, Abe's going to do it himself because Abe knows Abe. We know ourselves. We don't actually think we'll do a better job keeping God's promises. We don't. We just know ourselves. And we know we're going to mess up, but it'll be okay. But God, I'm not so sure about God. And this is what happens. We don't, then we start to work it out ourselves. We start to try to find the answers ourselves. We start to try to do things ourselves to protect or fulfill God's promise. And God's like, what, will, you, will you stop it? Will you just let me do my thing? Check Pharaoh out in verse 15. What a guy. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. So Abe wasn't lying. She was hot. She's like 65 years old at this point. Is what it is. I'm making this up. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So they saw that the woman was very beautiful, and they took her. They saw the woman was very beautiful, and they took. They saw... She was beautiful, and they took. Does that pattern ring a bell to anybody? About maybe some fruit or something? Saw, good for eating, delightful to the eye, beautiful, and took. Pharaoh is being portrayed here as Eve in this, in this story here. Saw, good, took. Saw, good, took. In his own eyes, saw, good, took. It's the pattern. Well, if... If Pharaoh is portrayed as Eve, who's the serpent in this story? Nobody wants to say it because we're supposed to honor Abraham. But I think Abraham is being portrayed as a deceiver. He's being portrayed as one who is, who is not trusting in God, but doing his own thing, what's good in his own eyes even. Abraham, we see, is motivated by fear. They will kill me. So he's motivated by fear to lie. He's also motivated by greed. It may go well with me. That it may go well with me. He's motivated by these things in order to lie. People, here's an application for you. We must not act like the serpent. It can be easy to deceive people in order to get our way. We learn that from childhood. 
right? We learn it as, as children. We're born with these serpent ideas in our head, white lies, twisted truths, obscuring the facts. But as Christians, we must reject this activity in our lives and in the lives of other people. We cannot abide by deception. From our living room to the boardroom, the workroom to the newsroom to the Oval Office, we cannot abide by deception and lies from anyone. We stand for the truth. We're people of truth. Pharaoh here is being deceived by Abraham because Abraham is not trusting in God to fulfill his plan. Verse 17, but the Lord, it's like, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Pharaoh actually gets mad at this in verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Because I thought you would kill me. Thought you wouldn't give me a bunch of camels. Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. And Pharaoh kicks him out. The lesson may see with all their stuff, he says, uh, and Pharaoh gave orders, uh, gave men orders concerning him, that they, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I skip verse 16. Look at it. He had a bunch of stuff. We got a bunch of stuff in Haran from his good business. Now in Egypt, for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. Pharaoh gives him a bunch of stuff as like a wedding prize, like a dowry. For Here's your sister. Here's a bunch of stuff. She's so beautiful. Here, you can have this. And Abe is blessed, but Pharaoh is cursed through Abe's deception. The lesson here cannot be behave treacherously and become rich. Our culture would like us to think that's the way. Greed or taking advantage of people, exploitation, uh, you know, cutting corners. Our culture would make us think that that's what we do. Behave treacherously and become rich. I want to be rich one day. I'll just step on all the faces of the people who are in my way to do so. That cannot be the lesson here. Because from the promise, I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Pharaoh's getting punked here a little bit by Abraham. He's not being very nice to him. The lesson is not be treacherous and get rich. The lesson is God is faithful to fulfill his promises, even though you're terrible at it. God is faithful, even though Abraham is unfaithful. God fulfilled his promise, and he cursed Pharaoh for taking advantage of, because Pharaoh didn't know, this is all Abraham's fault. But God comes through, Abraham learns the lesson. Oh, God still came through. So verse 13, one, or chapter 13, 1 through 4. So Abram went up from Egypt. He just got kicked out, but he had a whole bunch of new cool stuff. He and his wife and all that he had, new Bentleys and PlayStation 5s, all kinds of stuff. And Lot went with him in, back into the Negev, into the southern regions of Israel. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And uh, 
male and female slaves, servants. I just want to point that out. That female servant thing will be important in a few weeks. So just, oh, we got some female servants. One of which may or may not be is, is named Hagar. Would be one of those. Okay. And he journeyed, from, um, he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. The first place that he puts his tent is not actually between Bethel and Ai. It's at Shechem at the Okamora. But the first place that God talks about is the place where he called upon the name of the Lord. When Abraham starts to worship the Lord is between Bethel and Ai. And therefore is a significant place. Abe left very rich and went back to the promised land. There he worshiped the Lord, and he learned that God would keep his promises. Romans 4, 19 through 21, and we've got that on the slide too. Abram did not weaken in his faith. It was not a descending order of faithfulness in Abraham's life. No, uh, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. He made some mistakes along the way, but his trust was not his, his uh, belief in the promise of God was not wavering. He just did it wrong. But he grew in his faith as, we, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Yes, he made some mistakes along the way. And the Bible is very good about pointing out people's mistakes. It's okay with it. Abraham is not our God. He is not the snake crusher. He ruined it. He ruined it. Now, the problem is that we have, we do not trust God to keep his promises as much as we could. Now, I'm not harshing on us too much because I don't want to bash Abraham either. But what happens is we start to try to protect the promises ourselves. And we get, we, we turn from being generous and blessings. We turn to being defensive and, 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 and greedy. We, we try to fulfill the promises ourselves to take the steps or we hire or elect people to fulfill those promises for us. And again, this is a symptom of not knowing him very well, but all of these things are things that we learn about God over time. We can trust him. And as a result, our culture is actually one that prefers behave, pre behave treacherously and become rich. And we're men. Today's Father's Day, so we're men. We're talking men for a second. We're self-starters. Breadwinners, bootstrap puller uppers, rugged individuals, independent and free. I will provide and defend guns and tanks and hammers and nails and duct tape and WD 40. Like, this is the men, you know, grease on my fingers and take care of stuff and beat stuff up. And some more than others. I guess Rick is beating a lot of stuff up. My, in my head, it was like hammering on metal. It's, for what reason? It's, I don't know in my mind. It was just like bing, bing, bing. I'm a man. Bing, bing, bing. And we try to work. We try to save ourselves by doing these things. If only my kids would behave better. You know, I'll yell at them more. Sorry, Jackson. I didn't do that this morning. I was trying to be calm. And, uh, just full confession. Like, I get angry when people don't do what I say before I tell them to do it. So whose fault is that? You know, just do it before I tell you. And, our, and, and we have these pictures in our mind, and 
it, it pleases our culture's gods of comfort. Our culture loves comfort. Our culture loves wealth. wealth. Our culture loves just things being normal. Like, why would we get up and leave a perfectly good job to walk to Reno, Nevada? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Culturally, you don't do that, you know. If we get a, a good, we settle into a good life, we get a good paying job, a satisfying relationship. If you have all these things, you'll be happy. It's our culture. And if we can't get those, we feel something is wrong. Maybe we've failed so many times that we give up on ourselves and we just give up. Well, I'm just not going to do anything. Just not doing anything. It always goes wrong anyways. Or we try to let others do it. We realize the problem is too big, so I'm going to let somebody else handle it. Or we start mooching off of a system. Or we start blaming other people for our problems. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's this person's fault. So this person's fault. Whatever group we're not a part of, it's their fault, you know. Republicans' fault, Democrats' fault. Can I go there? I went there. Deal with it. Let's blame whoever we want to. Because it's not working right. We're like, somebody needs to make this work right. No, no, no. None of this is what God wants for us. We don't understand what is his plan in all of this stuff. And some of y'all, when I say elected, I'm not just talking political. Y'all elected me. Don't look at me to fix all your problems. I always going to point out, hey, you got problems. Are you trusting God? Because he says he's going to be a blessing, but you got to answer the call. You got to answer the call. And the call, you think about it, only Jesus in his work on the cross can ever save our souls. No amount of hammering on metal will do it. You know, knocking down walls is not going to do it. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, but not while Abraham was alive. We'll see it at the end of the story. All Abraham gets of the promised land, all he actually owns is a field with some trees and a cave. That's all he buys. He has to argue with the Hittites, like, let me buy it from you so that I can have a little piece of it before I die, and you stick me in that cave with my wife who just died. He doesn't see the promise fulfilled. Joshua gets a little closer, like 500 years later, when his descendants come in, and Joshua's like slaying all the giants and taking over the promised land, but they mess it up. They become so corrupt that God's like, you know what? Flood of Babylonians are taking you over. The people that Abraham left are going to come and take over the promised land and pull the people out because they messed it up with their corruption and trying to fulfill the promises themselves. The, all, the, the promise was completely fulfilled through Jesus after Abraham died. And we'll look at this more and more as we go through this. But Jesus was 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years after Abraham. Galatians 8 uh, Galatians 3, 8 and 9. I know we're pushing time here, but this is good stuff. I don't even care that no one agreed with me out loud there. I'm going to take your silence as just stunned appreciation for the power of God's word. We'll work on it. There we go. So in Galatians 3, 8, it says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's good, us, we're Gentiles, we're not Jewish, we're Gentiles, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The gospel, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying the gospel, saying the gospel. This is the gospel. In you, all the nations, in you shall all the nations be blessed. The gospel. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The gospel, here is the promise of Abraham. In you, in you shall all the nations be blessed. In who? In those who are of faith. Faith, again, is our allegiance to this God, the most high God, the God of Abraham, the creator of the universe. And Jesus is this God come to earth as a human, and now elevated to the position of the king of the universe. This God, faith, allegiance to Jesus as king, and those who are of faith are blessed right alongside with Abraham. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Not so that you will be blessed. Yes, I want you to be blessed, but not for the sake of your blessing. I'll receive my blessing, and now I'm going to go home. No. Receive your blessing and then take it and like, here, be blessed, here, be blessed, here, be blessed, here, be blessed, here, be blessed. And the blessing just keeps coming and I'll just be blessed. That is blessed. I bless. Be blessed and be blessed and we're blessing everybody and we're blessing and they're blessed by our blessing. So that Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, because check this out. We are Gentiles. We are all nations. But shall is not a word that stops. Shall is future tense. So check it out. If we are blessed along with Abraham, which we are, and if in Abraham all nations shall be blessed, then in us all nations shall be blessed. That is, our faith should be a blessing to all the nations. Nations is like people groups. Bringing about the promise of God that they too might become people of faith and be blessed. And then they go and bless. That others might join in the blessing. The blessing, again, of faith, of our allegiance to Jesus, who is the blesser. And we get blessed, so we go bless. Then they get blessed, and then they go and bless because of their allegiance to Jesus, and this thing doesn't stop. It's like the question, well, why doesn't God just take us to heaven as soon as we get saved? Because we have some work to do here to be a blessing. Because verse 14, why don't you check this out? This was powerful. So that in Christ Jesus, that we, that we all, might receive the promised. This whole story in Abraham has been about the promised land. The promised land. You'll go to the promised land. But here, Paul is not talking about the promised land anymore. He's talking about the promised what? The promised spirit. The promised spirit. We are Pentecostals. We believe in the continued activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. <laughs> Full gospel, Trinitarians, three parts. The Holy Spirit is not, you know not doing anything right now, active still. As such, as Pentecostals, we aren't just looking for a future faraway heaven. Like, oh, just take me to heaven, Jesus. No, he's like, hold on. I gave you my spirit, not so that you could get to heaven. I gave you my spirit so that you might be a blessing. The spirit has been poured out on all flesh. That was at Pentecost. Spirit's poured out. Some people don't realize and they're rejecting the Spirit of God. But the Spirit's working with everyone. And so we're not just looking off into, you know, the, the, the God's city, 
like Abraham, as some future faraway place that one day we'll get to when we die, we'll go to heaven, or Jesus will come back, and we'll be oh, in heaven. We actually, as the Spirit brings us heaven. We are looking for, first and foremost, for the Spirit that is poured out on all flesh. Not a spirit of greed, lust, comfort, or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Isaiah talks about the spirit of the Lord upon Jesus, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the spirit. These are the things that we should have. Fruits of the spirit, I don't know how far to push this metaphor, the fruit out of a tree that would grow on land. I don't, I don't want to push that too far, but like we see that the spirit is what we, what we want. We want God's spirit in our lives so that we can go and be a blessing. To be a blessing. Not to just be blessed. I don't want to just receive it and keep it for myself. I'm doing it wrong then. I'm missing an opportunity. So in closing, I will wrap this up super quick. There was the call and there was the promise. The promise couldn't be fulfilled unless Abraham answered the call. He had to go. Going required trusting. Trust in God would be takeaway number one. Trust in God. He's got a plan. Yes, things might not be working out. There might be famine in the land. I don't know what that looks like for you, but there might be famine in the land. But trust in God. Pharaoh might think your wife is hot, but trust in God. I don't know what that metaphor would be. I don't know what that is for you. Like somebody wants to take your stuff, like it's, uh, someone might be exploiting you. I, like, I don't, like this is what God is, is, is going to speak to you as we reflect and as we pray. The areas where we don't trust God. Because what, the second thing is be a blessing. Be a blessing. Don't be a curse. Abraham brought curses on Pharaoh's house because he wasn't a blessing. Don't do that. Be a blessing. What would keep us from being a blessing if we didn't trust in God's generosity and his love and his power? would keep us from being a blessing because we would think, oh, I got my blessing. Now I'm going to hang on to it way too hard. And eventually it will run out and I will be out of a blessing. But if we go and we bless and we bless and we bless, and this is like, the blessing is like Garden of Eden type of stuff. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. It's like be a blessing, bring order to chaos. Bring peace into people's lives. Find ways to un unlovable people. Find ways to love them. Reach out. Make some phone calls. Do some things that, that really just make people, if you make them smile, you're on the right track. And not smile in like an uncomfortable way. Okay, you know, that. <laughs> Don't, none of that. But understand, like, we could be a blessing God might call you to leave something you're doing to go to a new place. A caveat, real quickly, I, I feel compelled to say this. God will not have you leave something if the something you're leaving for would be a sin. Oh, God's calling me to leave my wife and children to go to be with this other woman. No, he's not. No, he's not. 
That's not the promised land. You're in it. You're just messed up. He would tell you in this case, leave the other woman and go back to your promised land. So God's not going to tell you, like, God told me to do this, and it's like this crazy thing that would definitely be a sin and contrary to the Bible. It's like, no, no, no. That's not what he's telling you to do. But we can pray. We can listen to what God wants for us. Are you willing to do so? As we close today, are you willing to do so? Are you willing to leave it all behind for Jesus, to pledge your allegiance to him and his cause, what it is you want for him, what things are holding you back? We have a lot. We have a lot. We are very blessed in this nation to be in this nation. And we have a lot. But if it's keeping us from our calling in Jesus, then we need to be willing to surrender that because God has something better in store for us. There might be some struggles and suffering on the way. You might get to the promised land and there's a famine and you got to go, you got to keep moving. But God's preparing, God's teaching lessons, God's using all of these struggles and circumstances in your life to build you into the person you want him or he wants you to be. It's not going to be perfect. I'm not telling you, hey, it's just blessings all the time. Everything's perfect. New car. Everybody's got a new car under their pew today. Congratulations. That's not what I'm talking about. God has a plan, and he will achieve that plan. It's Father's Day. I know I totally wrapped this up, but I'm way off script now even. You know how dads will push their kids beyond, just a little beyond what they can handle? Push them a little bit. You can do it. We're going to do this thing. Go do this thing. Go out for a sport. Play an instrument. You know, we put people in tougher positions than what they would want to be in. Our natural state is to just lounge about. But dads will be like, get up. I want you to go and do something. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to throw this much hay today. I've never thrown hay in my life. Um, that's not an invitation. I'm not asking Tom if I can come throw hay. Uh, that's what fathers do is push a little more. And that pushing is the, is the growth. Abraham grew in faith, the author of Romans told us. He grew in his faith. Why? Because God pushed him into harder situations, into tougher places. And he grew in his faith. He grew in his trust. We trust in God a little. We're like, oh, God, you want me to talk to a person? Actually, my struggle, if you get a phone call from me, just know there has been minutes of spiritual warfare before I make that phone call. I'm terrified. What if they don't answer? What if they're, what, 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 I'll just text them. No, I'm going to call them. There's been, there's been some spiritual warfare. If you get a phone call from me, just know that that had just happened, no matter how friendly I sound on the phone. I'm working on it, dealing with it. But it pushing us to do things more for him, to trust him more. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they listen. And they listen. So, bow your heads. Let's pray. If you are willing, are you willing is the question. If you're not willing to give some things up, do me a favor and talk to Jesus about it right now. If you are willing, if you know there's some things you've been hanging on to and you're willing to give them up, do me a favor. Talk to Jesus about it right now. Let's pray.